to the horror sanctum podcast i'm jay with john kellen and tj and man it's hot here in nashville uh it's so hot that the only thing you really want to do is eat some ice cream luckily for us we have everyone's favorite ice cream man on the show with us today the one the only mr clint howard clint welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us well thank you jay that was a great great introduction kind of a little (laughs) segue in there and and uh, i'll take it thank you thank you awesome so um, you know, if you're listening, watching us, you know, you've seen Clint somewhere. You've been in over 200 uh, films, TV shows, a um, few highlights, Jim Carrey's The Grinch, Ice Cream Man, the original Star Trek series, uh, The Wraith, Rock and Roll High School, Evil Speed, which is my background, um, Johnny Bart from Rest Development. That may be the first time I saw you and knew you for you. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I was in high school when Arrest Development started, so I'm like, I know that guy, um, but um, over 60 years in the, or I guess around 60 years in the business, uh, you have a book that you co-wrote uh, called The Boys, which Kellen has been reading this week, um, and I, I want to get started by saying you've worked with so many fantastic people. You've worked with Nicolas Cage, Tom Hanks, Jim Carrey, and you know I'm sure working with people has their, their pluses and their negatives, but I want to know what it was like working with the Chihuahua and the Siamese cats on Ping, which I <laughs> yeah. watched this week. And it's not a bad movie. It's Home Alone, obviously, but they recognize that in the film and even reference Home Alone. Uh, but I watched it today and you have some interaction with little Chihuahua and two Siamese cats. And let's just start with that somewhere fun and light. Like, what's it like working with animals like that? Well, listen, the, I, if I recall, which this was quite a while ago, but I the um, I didn't actually have a lot of interaction with the Siamese cat. I mean, I believe I heard somewhere that he didn't want me looking at him. So, so it was in his I, rider. <laughs> yes, it was in his rider. But the little dog was great. The little Chihuahua was a blast. And I, I had a really fun time working on that movie with Judge Reinhold who, yeah. you know, he's a minch. He, and, you know, we both realized exactly where we were. We were in the middle of a cute little comedy where it was a dog instead of Macaulay Culkin, uh, you know, and yet Shirley Jones was in the movie. Mm-hmm. And what a treat. I mean, listen, Shirley Jones, my, my brother worked with Shirley Jones on The Music Man, you know, and I had seen Shirley Jones throughout the, the years and we've always been really friendly and then getting to work with her there. That was a blast. And uh, that was a fun movie. And it was Ping a cute little movie for kids, you know, ages four to about, I don't know, 12 or 13. I think once you hit puberty, Ping sort of loses its luster. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Well, like I said, I watched it for the first time this week and I, it was a lot of fun, Like you take it. You just went through, you know, wait, you, you just went through puberty. (laughs) (laughs) That too. He did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, that's one thing that, that I've recognized about my career, and I recognized it a long time ago, the, the, the array, the variety of work 
that that I've been blessed to have over time. I mean, my goodness, from being one of the little littlest character actors you possibly could have, you know, being in Star Trek at the age of you know six years old, um, to going ahead and and being in my horror movies, but then getting to be in kid movies, you know, The Grinch, Ping. Um, I've been in a number of. I I was in a really. If you guys can find it. It's really a fun Christmas movie called Santa with Muscles. Oh, yes. Hulk Hogan. Hogan. It's a great one. (laughs) Classic. Yeah, no, Steve Valentine, uh, who's a really nice guy, and Don Stark. Don Stark, the guy that was my nemesis in Evil Speak, Mm -hmm. he was in Santa with Muscles. And it's just, you know, a cute little movie. And it was also designed for the, you know, prepubescent kind of people, such as yourself, Jay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, my voice is cracking. So I have to ask, uh, I grew up in upstate South Carolina, about 30 minutes from the North Carolina border. It's not, time out, time out. I didn't realize South Carolina had an upstate. Well, it's, it's not much of a state. So it's, it's called North kinda, Carolina. It's, it's, yeah, it's all kind of upstate. That is true. <laughs> we just separated out. Uh, of course, wh- where I grew up in the what they call the Deep South, they uh, they call North Carolinians damn Yankees because uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the North. <laughs> oh. But Andy Griffith and the Andy Griffith show is practically like the gospel where I grew up. I, I've seen every episode multiple, multiple times and and. Before I even knew who Clint Howard was, I had that image of of the cute kid with the the PB and J sandwich. You had to have been like a toddler when you first start. How old were you when you first started on that show? Well, that's another gigantic wow as far as you know, reflecting back and realizing what my career has sort of been. Uh, yeah, I was two years old. I wow. was my my first day of employment was um, I think it was December eleventh. 1961 which i was two two and a half years old and that makes it so i've been in the business what 62 years now 61 going on 62 i just turned 64 so anyway you know um yeah you know i have no memories i have i have no memories of working on the show although i became friends with and developed relationships with most of the people that worked on the show um you know i i was fortunate enough to you know spend some time with Andy towards the end of his life. And I had a couple of wonderful phone conversations and a couple of times where I was in the presence of Don towards the end of his life and what special people, you know, and, and Ron, um, you know, speaks so highly of his time from the time he was, I believe in the first grade through the eighth grade, he was working on the Andy Griffith show and, you know, obviously extremely formative years and, it obviously didn't hurt Ron. Uh, you know, the experience for him was very special. Um, and, you know, now one thing that I I have no recollection, no memories of is anybody, any of the creative forces behind the scenes mm-hmm. that that helped create the Andy Griffith show outside of Andy. You yeah. know, Aaron Rubin, um, uh, um, you know, Bob Sweeney, the director, who was the f- person that sort of discovered me uh I, of course i don't remember but the, as the story went um i came onto the set being babysat by my mom and and bob sweeney took one look at me 
and said, this is just too cute. We got to put him, I got a spot for him. So they created a bit and, you know, mom and dad said, yeah, why not? Because Ron had already been acting. So I felt like it was, you know, or they felt it was going to be easy for me. And it was not, not easy, but just, I was comfortable around the cameras mm. and around the people. I wasn't gun shy, you know, uh, and and from there, my career to, took off. I believe, again, I have no recollection of this. I believe I had an agent by the time I was three years old. Wow. Wow. That's, That's wild. So, and my, I don't really have, I don't really have any solid memories of working in the entertainment business until I was about five when I was working on a television series called The Baileys About Boa. Okay. With, with Paul Ford and Sterling Holloway, who, by the way, Sterling was the fellow that, that did the voice of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, and, wow. And I played Rue in one of the first Winnie the Pooh animated cartoons that Disney did. Oh, very well, cool. So my connections across the business, you know, get kind of freakish, you know? Yeah. When you've been in the business 62 years, I imagine they would. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it is just plain old math where yeah. if you're just around long enough, like if you think about it, you know, yeah, 200 and something credits, right? Well, I've been working 60 years. That if you do, it's only, you know, a, four, four credits, four credits a year, you know? So mm, yeah. anyway. So how long was it uh, between your experience, your first experience with Andy Griffith show until you land gentle Ben? Oh, well that, that had been a while. I mean, listen, I had a gentle Ben came along when I was seven years old. I can give you a, um, a, a like a kind of a, an update. Uh, uh, excuse me just a second guys i'm getting we got brand new technology in the howard household and there's my never mind anyway i you know i worked on gentle ben i started when i was seven but i had been in the business already five years i had done episodes of the fugitive i did it there was a television show called please don't eat the daisies that i worked on um i did a great episode uh for bonanza yeah, when I was about five years old, I was in an episode called All Ye His Saints, and it was a Christmas episode. And I basically had the lead of the of the episode. And it's really, you know, a very heavy Christmas episode. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I go hunting for God. And, you know, one of the lines in my in the episode was you killed God because this Indian had to come around. He, he wasn't God. He was a bad guy. And this mm -hmm. Indian fires a knife in his back and kills him. And I, you know, I think, I think God's laying there dead. It's really Leif Erickson. And I look up at this, this actor and I go, you killed God. But it also was, uh, and I'm going to have to him and haw a second here because it was written that episode of, of Bonanza was written by the same guy who who wrote a great episode, a great TV movie called Brian's Song. Uh, Bill oh, Blinn. Yeah. I've uh -huh. seen that. Yeah. Bill Blinn, William Blinn. At the time, he was a very young creative writer and uh, uh, he wrote that episode. And it was I had a huge memories of working on Bonanza. Like I said, one of the I I'd worked on the Baileys about Boa, which was this spinoff. Kind of, that wasn't a spinoff. It was a comedy that came out of the the same people that had done the Andy Griffith Show, and they were going to do Gomer Pyle. It was that little. They, there was a hotbed of television. Well, there was this, this television series called Bailey's about Boa. I worked on it, and then I worked on Bonanza, and things were going great for me. I worked on my episode of Star Trek, 
prior to being booked on Gentle Ben. So th that's sort of the, the chronological order of things. All right. So before getting into the horror stuff, because I definitely want to start asking you about Evil Speak and Ice Cream Man, but I have to know how it was like, because they always say don't work with <laughs> children and animals, right? And you've, you've had a lot of experience uh, with all of that. But how how was Ben? Because what was was it cool working with the bear? Did you have to deal a lot with the handlers? How was that experience working with the bear? Well, it was it was it was cool. There's no denying it was cool. There was some problems with working with the bears, but there was actually we had three bears that we worked with. There was the main bear was named Bruno, and then there was an, another bear that was the primary second bear, and his name was Buck. And then they had a, a bear that didn't really look like either one of them. And his name was Drum. And Drum only did water stuff. Hmm. It seemed like that Bruno and Buck really didn't like operating in water. But they found this one bear that loved to swim around. So anytime there was water scenes, it was Drum. Uh, you know, it was hard. The, the hard thing is, you know, Bruno was a 650-pound black bear. And Buck was probably a 550-pound black bear. And we were filming down in Florida. And it was hot. And so these bears were always suffering a little bit from just being out in the elements. I mean, they, they would keep them cool. They, they would keep Bruno in under the shade. They would keep, you know, but yet, my goodness, you know, it, it was um, it, it was taxing for him, you know. But the animal trainers were great. I have wonderful memories of working on Gentle Ben. The, the Rico Browning, who just recently passed away, and he he was he he was one of the creatures from the Black Lagoon in the original movie. Oh wow! Um, he he was the creator of Flipper. Ivan Torres loved him, and he ended up directing a lot of episodes of Gentle Ben. So the, this up and down, the whole crew, everybody down there in Florida was absolutely great. Dennis Weaver was a great dude. You know, here's a little side note. Dennis Weaver was the person that introduced my mom and dad to each other back when they were going to the University of Oklahoma, when my mom and dad fell in love. It was Dennis that that he put them together in a scene study class. Dennis was an upper division uh, drama major at mm -hmm. OU, and he was running a scene study class. And, and my dad was a freshman and my mom was a sophomore. And Dennis handed sides to the two of them and said, study this scene. And from that point, the sparks flew. Well, later on, playing my dad in this television series, Gentle Ben. So, wow. you know, it, you know, lots of, but lots of great memories from Gentle Ben. And it was the first time in my career that, you know, I like going down there and working. Um, and when the show got canceled, we all thought prematurely because it wasn't doing that badly in the ratings. It it had been a great show when the first season and the second season, it had slipped a little bit, but it still was doing well, but CBS yanked it off the air. Uh, I was disappointed when I, when I heard that, you know, they called my dad and said, the show's been canceled. You know, it was kind of a pisser, although what a great break for me. Because imagine if General Ben Hadston had been successful and the show had gone on, you know, five or six years, you know, I would have been some 13 or 14 year old kid, you know, pulling on a bear's chain every episode, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, I guarantee you that I would not have enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed it when I was eight years old and nine years old. I'm not sure I would have enjoyed it if I was a teenager. So, 
you know, mm-hmm. I, I will I will reflect back all the time and and say, my goodness, you know, fate, God, circumstance, whatever it is, it's fallen my way so often, you know. And, and I of course I've gone through life and I've been pissed off at the way things have turned out, and you know, but but in with a little bit of reflection, with taking a step back. And 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 seeing the big picture, I'm just you know one grateful guy. And if I talk about it too much more, I will get tears in my eyes. Hmm. We don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's do a now for something completely different. Horror let's talk, movies. Let's talk <laughs> horror movies. Evil speak, man. Evil speaks got to be one of my my favorite kind of cult horror films of of the '80s. I, I always call it the the guy version of Carrie in a military school <laughs> that's that's my kind of quick log line version how did you get associated with this uh this film and, and do you have any cool stories you'd like to share about working on it well i auditioned i auditioned for that i just you know as i recall got a, get a call from my agent and there was a part nice part in this little independent movie um and and you know i i went in and i auditioned uh, and later on, I ended up, you know, be- becoming friends with Eric Weston, the director. He just kind of a, consider him a colleague. Um, and uh, uh, Eric has told me later that the minute I went in and auditioned, you know, he they said, oh, no, we got to hire him. Um, and so, I, you know, I didn't realize that at the time, you know, I read the script. I had concerns about the script, um, you know, because listen you know the, the character gets possessed by the devil and cuts people's heads off you know conjures up pigs to to go and do his bidding and 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 you know there's lots of death and destruction and after i auditioned and after i you know uh, read the script of course and then you know i i went and had a conversation with my dad about it because at this point i was think 20 or 21 years old and i said dad you know, this script, it, there's a lot of stuff in here that's a little, you know, I don't know, man, you know, and, and dad read the script and he thought it was a pretty good script. He, he enjoyed it. You know, he said, no, this is going to work. But as far as the dilemma of do you work in something like this or not, and I'll never forget dad telling me, he said, you know, Clint, if, if you don't do the part, somebody else will, you know, you turning down the role is not going to stop this movie from getting made. It's just a movie. It's a fantasy. It's fiction. It's what we do. We dress up and we do these, we play these games. And so, you know, I I took the role and had a great time. You thought I had a great time. I said I had a great time working on Gentle Ben. Working on Evil Speak was really, you know, an awesome experience because I was number one on the call sheet. Um, the thing really revolved around Stanley Cooper Smith. I became very close with the director, Eric Weston, and also the, the cinematographer, a guy named Irv Goodenough, who has since passed on. And I, you know, the three of us created this kind of, you know, trio of, of people that we, we plowed through that movie. And, and it was, a you know, low budget, independent movie. It was so low budget that they made me buy my uh, toupee. It was oh, that was a toupee? In my career, I needed a toupee. And I, they said, no, you need one and we're not going to pay for it because you're going to get to keep it at the end of the movie. So I went to see the guy's name was Ziggy and he had a he was a wig maker in Hollywood, went down and got fitted. The toupee was about, 
yay big, you know, it wasn't very big. And now I don't think it would fit anywhere <laughs> close. As as someone who who kind of become follically challenged early, yeah, I, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, it, the my, it's the solar power of my sex machine. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. So, Evil Speak was great and creative, and I had fun, and I thought it was a good movie. I really and you I, got to do wire work. How long yes. were you on those wire? Like the whole like climactic ending sequence where you're cutting off dudes' heads. You're you're on these wires for how long? Well, with the magic of movies, you know, I wasn't on them continuously. There was one massive day. We, it took us. I think we shot in that church, the inside of that church, for three days, and it wasn't. It was a church that was about ready to get condemned. That's how they were able to get it. And they dressed it up and made it look really nice. Um, and uh, um, there was one day that I worked for more than 24 hours consecutively. And that was my wire work day. And I was up on the wire for, you know, probably six or eight hours of, of the time. Of course, they let you down. They let you down and you get to unhook and everything. But but I was up and it was, it was Christopher Reeves' rig. Oh, really? That, when they made the first Superman, it was the the it was Christopher Reeves, like it was it looked like a girdle. It felt like a girdle. It was leather, and they just had old fashioned with leather straps. They strapped you in, and then they hooked you hooked me up. And uh, you know, listen, at, I was I was twenty twenty one years old. I I loved it, and it was towards the end of the filming, and by that point. You know, it was really just grind, 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 got to do it. And it was Eric and Irv and I made a lot of creative decisions about that movie on the fly, you know. And and so I remember being really stimulated and involved creatively, you know, and it was fun. And it was it, it opened great. It was it was the number one movie in Los Angeles when it opened. It was the number one movie in New York. It was a small little distribution house. It wasn't a big studio that that distributed it. So they didn't quite know how to make it just giant, you know, but you nailed it. It was like a, a male version of Carrie mix in the military stuff. And of course, you know, you've got the whole, you know, um, um, Catholic, you know, good against evil thing and and again i thank you it, it's you know i'm very proud of that movie oh yeah you should be it's it's uh it's become a cult classic for for good reason and another one of your great cult classics i probably watched this in the 90s for the first time the ice cream man how did you how did you get approached or did you just audition or what was the story of coming to the ice cream man guys it was another audition you know I, it was mm -hmm. another audition. And once it, Norman Epstein, the director, um, uh, you know, they, it was, I think we shot it in 1993 or 1994. Um, and, and once they saw me, they said, Oh no, he's perfect. You know, I went in and nailed the audition and it was a scale job. Just like evil speak was a scale job, but listen, I, you know, I come from my dad and work is great. You know, work is wonderful. And if somebody offers me, an opportunity for gainful employment, I take it if I'm not, you know, busy doing other, some other gainful employment. So I worked on Ice Cream Man, had a great time working on it. Norman Epstein was the filmmaker, was the director. Um, and, and, you know, we had a blast. It's a, you know, kind of, and we knew at the time it was a little cheesy, a little campy. 
I mean, it was, you know, and uh, it, 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 of course, it kind of fell through the cracks. It didn't get any kind of theatrical distribution and it, it came out on video. I didn't realize it for about 10 years. I didn't know that it was going to become a cult classic, you know, uh, and, and I see why I go to a lot of horror conventions and stuff. And there is just such a smile on people's face when they come up and meet the ice cream man, or there'll be now grandfathers <laughs> will be bringing their grandchildren to the table so they can meet the ice cream man. And before they watch it, and I'm thinking, oh my God, is this going to be appropriate? Is this going to be really appropriate for a six-year-old to watch? I'm not sure. But, you know, I, I got to develop a really good, long, lifelong friendship with Norman, the director. And uh, as a matter of fact, Norman and I are in the process of putting together another Ice Cream Man. We're going to make an, another Ice Cream Man movie. Um, oh, it wow. has no... The only similarity is I'm being hired to play the ice cream man. It's a different character, different backstory. Uh, we are doing, we've crafted, Norman and I have written an original screenplay about the ice cream man. And I can't give you guys too much information except to say that what we've done is through the first half of the movie, definitely through the first act and into the second act, we've crafted it. So we really kind of begin to understand why a person would cut up body parts and put them in the ice cream. Why does a guy end up going this direction? You know, uh, and, you know, in the original ice cream man, which again, we, we make no, virtually no reference to um, the guy was just nuts from the beginning, you know, well, he saw the other ice cream man get killed, and then you just assume he kind of goes crazy. Yeah, right? but but in this one, you know, I'm playing a 60-year-old ice cream man who's, you know, yeah, his life has been challenged by things, and he's kind of beaten down. And then a, and then in our screenplay, a series of circumstances come up that piss him off enough to friggin' start taking retribution and and, you know, kind of getting his peace back, which includes, you know, he loses his mind, of course, because it's no, you got to lose your mind and cut body parts up and put them in the ice cream. Right. But you know, the fans won't be disappointed. The yeah. fans will not be disappointed by another ice cream man. I'm glad you mentioned that. because I, I love ice cream, man. That was one of my questions for you was after the original, was there ever any talks of a sequel? Because it sets up where you could even come back as a manifestation of the kid if they did. So yeah, yeah they I'm, set I'm, up you know, the kid to be a sequel. No, listen, you know, Norman and I creatively discussed all sorts of options, you know, of him, of, of, of the, the, you know, speaking of that movie, of, of, of that character coming back as a manifestation to haunt the life of someone else or something. And, and we just decided, we go, no, you know, honest to God, you know, we didn't believe in that movie enough. We just thought, why not just do something completely different and and mm -hmm. completely fresh and we have and it's fun listen i again i wish i could talk about it but we've had we've creatively we've creatively been working on it for about a year um you know right now we're in the middle of this screen actors guild writers guild strike which you know really doesn't slow us down because at this point we're really not you know, a production entity right now. Um, but we're, we're, we're sort of in a little bit of a pause, but we yeah. certainly have, you know, we are going to gear back up 
and and you know we seem to have people very interested in funding it. Uh, we got a great cast lined up. Everybody's also the, you know the, I've got a lot of colorful characters lined up that have said yes, they'd love to be a part of Ice Cream Man, and we're looking forward to doing it. It's you know Norman Epstein and my wife Cat Cat Howard. She's one of the producers, and she's a just a dynamo kind of person. She's you know she doesn't come from the film world. She actually, my wife uh, is a re- former uh, professional prize fighter. Oh wow! And, oh yeah, wow. she's also she's got a great story. And and uh, but that set aside, I have an instinct that she's going to be a great producing partner. So she's also one of the producing partners, and then myself. And um, as of right now, I mean, I haven't shot any footage, but I'm going to direct the I'm going to direct the movie. Oh, awesome! Well, well, yeah. absolutely. You consider this as the the pre-invite. Once all the strikes are done and you're in, you're you've done the production and it's ready to 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 do the the press and stuff. You got you got a show to to come on and promote it hard, and we'll do all the things we can for it. Well, I thank you. I certainly will circle back. I you know my goodness, we I, we ended up. I'm kind of a blowhard. We ended up talking so much about my career as a kid. We didn't really touch on. You know, we, we evil speak. We brushed on Ice Cream Man. I've been in a lot of other horror movies. I mean, recently I was in Rob Zombie's Three from Hell, which was a really fun turn. And uh, although you've been in a few Rob Zombies, right? Yes. Yeah. I, Rob and I are friends and he hired me for the first time in Halloween. Yeah. Uh, and he's a good dude. He really is. I just I, I like the cut of his jib. He works real hard. And, uh, you know, he, I'll tell you what, this is going to sound weird. Rob Zombie to me reminds me a lot of Adam Sandler. Really? Yeah, I'll tell you because I worked with Adam on Waterboy and Little Nicky. And when I worked on Waterboy, again, I auditioned for the role and then I ended up getting booked and I ended up meeting Adam at a big table read before they started filming and you know Kathy Bates was there and the whole gang was there, Henry was there. Uh, and it was a you know, that was a fun experience. But when I got to working on Waterboy, I knew Adam had been in in um, Saturday Night Live and he had made a couple of films. I thought he was going to be distracted. I thought he was going to be on his cell phone. I thought, well, this kid, you know, you know, he's he is so much about the work. He is so much about putting on his work clothes and going to work. He's funny. He's a natural born leader, but he does not take any energy from anything adam only adds the same could be said for rob you know you see rob zombie on the movie set and you think my god this guy's a maniac you know he looks more like charlie manson than a movie director (laughs) um and, and yet you know when when you start working with him on the set he's all about the work he doesn't he doesn't get on his cell phone he's not distracted he knows how to focus, you know, and he certainly does not direct like a rock and roll star would direct. So, I, you know, I was impressed. I was impressed with him, you know, and his work ethic. And I just like him as a person. I just, you know, I, th- I think Rob is cool. So anytime, anytime uh, there's a, there's a, you know, Rob Zombie project that I know about, or he'll either call me. In fact, I had one bit of bad, a, a bad little break um, just oh, last year. I had the opportunity. He hired me. He wanted me to to be in his movie, The Munsters. 
you know, Rob made a recreate a recreation. He retold kind of the monsters and he did a color version of, and it's very much of a sitcom version. And I was hired to play Lester. Oh, the, wow. The, the werewolf cut, uh, uncle. And I had just had a revision surgery on my, one of my artificial hips and it went well, but the filming was going to be like four weeks after my hip surgery and the insurance company that was insuring the movie would not insure me to go over to Budapest to work on the movie. So a little bit of a disappointment because, you know, Rob had sort of, you know, hired me and then they had to unhire me because like they couldn't get insurance on me, but you know, we'll work again. That's certainly true. Maybe monsters too. Uh, yes. Well, I, yes. Monsters too. some, anything, you know, Rob is, I, I really love the way Rob thinks and, and, you know, he's, he certainly has his fingerprints on his movies. You know, he certainly makes loud movies and listen, I got to do this. I got to tell one Rob zombie story. Cause this is about the horror films. Um, of course I worked on three from hell and I got two days of employment one day when I was alive, I played Mr. Baggy Britches and I was this clown that happened to, accidentally come upon this home invasion where ultimately everybody's going to get massacred. So, and I think I'm, I'm going to 1217 uh, Ardmore lane. And I'm really going to seven, I end up at 1712 Ardmore lane and, and Otis, the character of Otis played by Bill Mosley has a gun to my head, you know, and, and they bring me in and they basically have now kidnapped me. And they tell me that if I can make them laugh, because I'm, I'm dressed up in a clown. I think I'm, I think I'm going to go uh, entertain 12 year old kids at a birthday party. So these guys with, they, they've got their kidnapped victims and they got the three nasty guys are right there uh, with guns. They say, if you can make us laugh, we'll let you go. And so my character, I'm nervous as all get out and I'm doing my routine and the routine's not going good and the hostages are not laughing and the dudes are not laughing. And then after a couple of beats, it looks, okay, you know, Otis, Bill Mosley picks up his gun and he walks towards me and he puts his the gun right to my head like he's going to kill me. And I piss myself. And, and the the one of bill mosley's partners goes look the clown pissed himself and bill mosley laughed and he goes shit i laughed and i look at him and i go does that mean i can go and he says to clown heaven and he shoots me in the head <laughs> so i had i had one day of employment being alive and then and then i'm they i'm laying there dead as the carnage happens at this house it was the prison warden's house Mm -hmm. um so anyway the, the, the second day of employment i'm there and i'm i'm laying there you know dead and they're doing the staging of the thing so bill mosley is literally walking around kind of pantomiming what he's going to be doing killing people and he's walking around the set going bang 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 and you hear from video village which is you know, through a magic wall over there where nobody can see him, you hear Rob Zombie's voice go, Bill, Bill, you know, when you shoot people, you can't go bang, bang, Bill. No, you, you <laughs> don't say bang, bang. And the way Bill Mosley's expression, he like looked up to the heavens and he goes, okay, Rob, you know, and, and seeing Otis, seeing the full makeup, it, it was pretty amazing. So anyway, um, 
you know, I, Rob, like I said, Rob's a really good guy. Bill Mosley, who I've, you know, known over the years and worked with, he's cool. You know, Danny Trejo was in that movie and he's, he's a good dude. Uh, you know, fun to be part of that community. Yeah, it's good to hear that about Rob Zombie because I'm a huge Rob Zombie fan. Always have been, always will be. Anything he puts out, I'll watch it, I'll listen. So that's good to know. I know Kellen has some book questions, but sure. one more horror movie that I think a lot of people haven't had, haven't seen that I love was Funhouse Massacre, uh, where you play the taxidermist, where it's like a group of prisoners, like psychotic murderers get out and they take over a haunted house. Uh, that movie's great. Uh, I don't know why it doesn't get the attention it deserves. Did you have a lot of fun on that one? Oh man, it was a blast. I only worked a couple of days, but they filmed, yeah. they were filming in Ohio, I think Middleton, Ohio, Middletown, Middleton. Uh, anyway, they, I flew, um, I, I slept, I got up, I worked, they shot at night. Um, it was very, it was, you know, really a guerrilla film, although it was an official movie directed by a guy named Andy Palmer, had a great cast. And I know you're right. People ought to check out Funhouse Massacre. There's a fellow who's a friend of mine, a guy named Mars Crane, who played the big muscle guy that acts. There's mm -hmm. a scene in the movie. I'm going to do a spoiler alert here. This huge Mars is six foot six and weighs 300 pounds. And he literally grabs a guy. He grabs a guy's head and he literally pulls his head off of his shoulders. And it's got all that great Terrifier 2 effects, these mm -hmm. cheesy kind of over the top effects. And uh, it was a fun movie. I wish I had been in it more. Yeah, you know, that was, I, I rewatched it today. Uh, but I had seen it a couple times before. I actually found it at my local Dollar Tree on DVD, which is also insane to me that it was a, a buck. But yeah, I wish you had a little bit more screen time too, because your character was probably one of the more interesting. You and uh, the cult leader, uh, who was played by a guy who's in Justified. I can't remember his name. Win Duffy on Justified. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, listen, it was great. You know, some of that was the logistics. So, some of the size of my role was the logistics of, of the economics, because, you know, not to go into a lot of details, I you know, my agent and I asked for a certain amount of money per day and they, they were willing to pay it, but only for two days, you know, so they couldn't, they didn't, they didn't want to keep me around for a long time because it was going to start to get expensive. It was done. It was a great group of people. And again, this guy, Andy Palmer, um, Andy Palmer, the director was, you know, great guy to work for. He assembled a really good team, you know, talking about the movies. I love being a part of the film business. When you really get into the trenches and start making a movie, there is just something really cool about it. You know, it really is like getting in a foxhole. Yeah. And, um, you know, this, there can be some anxiety and, and there can be, you know, some conflict because listen, you know, you, you only have X amount of time to shoot a movie and it's really shitty that when, you know, you're on the set and you know, you've got a big, big full day of filming and yet it's, you know, it's, it's one o'clock in the afternoon and the company's only gotten three shots off. And you realize, wow, this is going to be a long day. Yeah. You know, and I, I tell, I tell people this all the time, you know, that's the thing about acting. Anybody can be an actor at eight 30 in the morning mm -hmm. when they've had a full good night's sleep and they've eaten well and they drive to the set yeah. and they know they're, they're professional actors and they get there and they've got a lot of vim and vigor that, that, you know, that's, that's easy. Try acting after you've been there for 14 hours and had 10 cups of shitty coffee <laughs> and had a very, very lousy second meal. And, you know, here we are, if you've been on this, if, if you've, your call time was eight o'clock and it's now 1030 at night and it's time to do your scene. 
you know, then you got to act. But the fact is, is I'm a professional and they pay me to be good at 1030 at night or 830 in the morning. It does not matter. And that's some the work ethic that I learned from my dad. Yeah. yeah speaking of that, you, your dad's heavily featured in your book. Um, and he's such such an amazing character. And, and just listening to the way that y'all talk about him with such reverence. Um, you know, him being an actor, your mom was also an actress. That's kind of how they met. And then, you know, seeing their kids, it didn't seem like there was ever any resentment. Um, it seemed like they were super supportive. Um, even your dad, I think, look, reading through the book, got a couple of roles just by being your dad, um, being in the right place with, with y'all. Um, but you referred to your family as uh, grinders and scrappers. Has there come a point in your career where you feel like you don't have to, like you've established yourself or is it st just all part of being an actor? You got just constantly grinding and scraping for roles. Hey, I enjoy, I enjoy grinding and scrapping. I mean, it's what we learned how to do. And, you know, I don't know, easy street is fun, but <laughs> it's not, it's not quite as satisfying as fucking really getting in there, rolling your sleeves up and working. I mean, you know, yeah, I physically get tired, but you know, listen, when you're, when, when somebody's hired you and, and you're there at eight 30 or nine o'clock at night and you're still working and you're tired and your feet hurt, you know, it's, I don't know. feels pretty good. It's like playing a muddy football game. <laughs> I'm very much of a sports guy. And you know, the, the idea of grinding, the idea of three yards in a cloud of dust, you know, Three yards, three yards, and three yards gets you to fourth and one, and I go for it. You know, yeah. I feel like I would – I mean, that's kind of old-school football. Don't tell Patrick Mahomes three yards, three yards, <laughs> three yards. Don't tell a coach three yards, three yards, and three yards because they'll punt, for Christ's sakes. But I just think that, you know, you grind it out. You grind it out. And I watched – both Ron and I watched my dad um, really be a scrapper as a character actor. I mean, you know, listen – he, dad, first of all, dad was a hall of fame human being. And Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You don't even know the half of it. I mean, Ron and I feel real proud about the book, the boys, a memoir of Hollywood and family. Let me get in a plug. I got <laughs> uh, but we, we, you know, uh, dad, yes, there you go. You know, dad, Things didn't turn out dad's way. When, you know, when dad got bit by the show business bug when he was about 12 years old and ended up, you know, first he went to the University of Oklahoma and then he went to New York and then he came out to L.A. and he, he had his kids and they got into the business. He never resented us at all. He never once, you know, and he wanted to do great things. You know, no one ever breaks into the business and, and you know, says they want to be a character actor. They want to be a, you know, a three line guy. You know, dad had his dreams to be a star. You know, Tom Mix, and, you know, Gene Autry. Um, and it just, listen, it, it only happens for a handful of people. Um, and yet, you know, he found his niche. He always loved to do it. Mom, what, mom and him made a great team. Mom was super supportive of him the whole way. You know, uh, mom, mom passed away, you know, prematurely at the age of like 70 or 71 um, but dad kept going. Dad remarried and had this wonderful life till he was 88, 89 years old. Um, I got to work with my dad on the last thing he really did. Uh, it was a movie called Appleseed. And uh, it was a little independent movie that my dad had the lead in. Uh, and in fact, I think it's it, it Showtime ended up showing it for a while. 
and I believe the rights have have come back around and the producers and the director named Mike, a guy named Michael Worth, they managed to get the rights back and they're going to release it on Blu-ray. So I would encourage anybody, interesting movie where my dad was the star and, and I, I play a great role. I come in at the end of the movie and I don't want to give it away, but it's, it's a, I have a great scene with my dad and we did that scene. And literally a couple of weeks later, he was stricken uh, by West Nile virus and uh, mm. he had a logical breakdown and ended up passing away a short time later, um, which, you know, was hard for Ron and I. Uh, and also that's, listen, after, after dad passed, Ron and I, we, we kind of said to ourselves, we go, you know, what can we do to kind of memorialize what his contribution to the world was and mom's too. And the idea of writing a book came up and, um, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It was, a, we wrote it right in the middle of COVID and it was a wonderful experience. Ron and I bonded, although we were apart, you know, Zoom, we were Zoom calling and typing back and forth and sending each other texts. Uh, and yet we were able to put this book together and, you know, we're very proud of it. And again, it's, you know, both available in hardcover. It's available in paperback from HarperCollins. And it's also an audio book. So if people who are interested in my brother's career, my career, it's a great, it, you know, we're, like I said, we're real proud of it. I think it's, you know, a really solid, solid book. And, and oh, it's, just... it's fantastic. Yeah. It comes across, it, you talk about, what an amazing person your dad is it really comes across the page reading uh or listening because i've been listening to it as an audiobook and and y'all going back and forth almost as if you're you're talking about the same time frame just from different perspectives um but yeah your dad just comes across as such such an amazing human being so congratulations on that and and just what a wonderful book to not be the typical hollywood um you know, scandalous kind of book. It's just more about, you know, y'all growing up in the business, the support that y'all had. So yeah, just a fantastic book. If anybody gets a chance to read it, absolutely. Um, and it's really honest. Couldn't recommend it we, more. We, we really didn't have a lot of scandals. We really didn't, you know, I mean, this in the Griffith show was a great experience. Andy, tip of the spear in such a great way. And listen, I, we could sit here and talk we could sit here and talk about the Andy Griffith show. I mean, and I, listen, I don't even have any memories of working <laughs> on the show, but I, you know, from the, from the standpoint of the effect that it had on the Howard family and with a little bit of perspective, I, I talk, you know, a lot about, you know, I can talk a lot about God, Andy was a brilliant guy, you know, and Andy was not uncomplicated, but my goodness, from facing the crowd to no time for sergeants when he broke in as a young guy and then he got on the Andy Griffith show. And then later he cashed a great ticket when he worked on Matlock, you know, it was. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, you know, yeah, listen, that's maybe, maybe we can do this again. I know you guys do horror and we've danced around a lot of different genres. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we can do this again. Part well, two. We're all kind of fans of just film in general, but the horror sanctum, we kind of, we kind of, pin it in a foundation of horror and if we we veer off that's fine most of our yeah. our fans like all things anyway yeah this this episode is not necessarily about horror movies it's about clint howard that's that's what we want to talk about you know yeah. so we yeah. have like a f some a few more like two or three more short questions that we'll let you go uh, sure. back to your family if you're i've got a question is that a is that a pentagram behind you it's from evil speak jesus god <laughs> 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 
We were just conjuring Clint Howard. We thought that guy would get you on the Zoom it, call. It was here when I moved in. I don't know. Weird. <laughs> it worked, so, didn't it? It worked. So you conjured and I, I came. Yeah, and we we greatly appreciate it. Um, and you're talking about the Andy Griffith show, you were also a character who ended up becoming a huge character further on down the road on the original Star Trek, um, Baylock. And uh, watching that clip, it's it shows how much confidence you had at such a young age in your ability. Um, where did that come from? Where did that confidence come from? Because in that role, you're playing with you know three adults and you just command the screen at six, seven years old. It's It's really fascinating to me. Well, listen, you know, uh, mom and dad and the environment that I grew up in, you know, the experiences that I got to watch, I would say by osmosis. I mean, listen, I was acting, you know, I had been potty trained, but I, I wasn't much past potty training before I was, you know, in front of a camera and it was all very natural to me. And dad encouraged us. We were, it was all about preparation. It was all, you know, Dad had us really prepared, not like circus trained circus animals or anything like that. But, you know, he explained sort of in, in, in parent to child terms what the psychology of it was. And acting is really very simple. You listen to what the other characters are saying. You really listen and, and, and you understand where your character has been and where your character wants to go. Because in one thing human nature everybody's got a motive everybody has an intention and if you wonder and, and dad sort of was able to instill that in in ron and i and then with preparation i remember being really young and being really confident not cocky but confident and i could tell in fact when i worked on bonanza and i have a direct memory of this it's not just me telling a story about it i remember we I worked with Michael Landon and I worked with Dan Blocker a lot for the, like about a week and a half doing an doing we shot up in Tahoe and then we came down to the sound stages in in Warner Brothers I think it was Warner Brothers we came down to the sound stages and uh, we did some scenes in the houses and stuff and then I was introduced to Lauren Green and I watched Lauren Green act and he seemed like a nice guy he smelled good. Um, Oh yeah, you you know the the sense of the sense of smell was really big for me, that you know. But I I looked at his acting and I thought, this is a little cheesy. Here I was, I was a five year old kid, saying this is cheesy. This actor was cheesy, so I had confidence. I had confidence. Very cool. I you know one thing I have to ask about, kind of going all the way back around, um, little Nikki and. Um, the water boy working with Sandler. Um, you know, you have some of my favorite characters in those movies. I, I love the nipples character. I love in the water boy. When you're on the set and you're doing that, are you just, is it just everybody's laughing and you're just having to like stay serious for a minute? Or are you so in character that you just block all that out? Because it's hilarious every time I see your characters in those movies. Well, you block it out. I mean, of course you block it out. I mean, that's the discipline of being an actor. Yeah. Uh, you know, Adam and the whole team there created a wonderful environment. He's Adam is a very creative guy. And he's it, it's, it's certainly a team effort. And, uh, you know, I knew I knew I had nailed nipples. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I knew I had nailed nipples. And, and listen, by by the crew's response with my work on Waterboy, 
you know, because that's what you get. You 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 have to, especially in a comedy, when you do mm-hmm. a scene, nobody's laughing, and yet afterwards, people the smiles on their faces and and they laugh. You know, they'll chuckle and they'll go, "That was really good." You 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 get confidence that it was good. And you know, like I said, it was it was the environment that Adam helped create that made that those two opportunities really special. Definitely, and, and they're really memorable. I know you were talking about. I mean, the idea of the character actor, right? But I can just tell you personally that when I see you in a movie, I'm instantly like, this is going to be awesome. Like every time I see Clint Howard, it's it's just like, you know, it's going to be good. Um, I think about like The Wraith. I love that movie. And I think your performance in that is like so good. Like I just really enjoyed that movie. What What was that like working on that set? Was that... Was that a pretty good experience for you? Did you have a lot of memories from it or was it just kind of like another on the Wraith? Yeah. On the Wraith. No, the Wraith was great experience. I mean, over the years, I've, you know, Charlie and I have remained friends. Dave Sherrill, Nick Cassavetes, Jamie Bozian. That was one of those movies that, you know, normally when you work on a movie, you you exchange phone numbers and stuff and you you never talk to the people again or you never, you you never bond. There was, the Wraith was a bonding experience. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed working with Randy Quaid. I had a great scene with Randy. And, and even as a kid, Randy was one of those guys that I always kind of wanted to work with and emulate, you know, I, now I kind of, you know, Randy's gone another direction a little bit, but you know, I I really (laughs) loved I loved working with him as an actor and it was a fun experience, you know, and I appreciate that movie when it came out, you know, I was a little disappointed, but that movie holds up really well. When you see it now, it really is a, a cut above great music. Um, you know, Charlie's interesting, Nick, the gang, Mike Marvin, the director did what he needed to do to get that thing done. And, you know, outside of a few, fantastic special effects shots there was no real cg in the movie all, you know all the racing racing stuff was done you know practical yeah so, you know it's anyway. per- it's incredible i mean i really do think it's like a cult classic honestly um the one one last thing i wanted to ask about because i read this and i didn't i wasn't aware of this about you you formed a new wave rock and roll band called the kempsters can you talk about that a little bit? I just was not. That was my that. last question. You stole my last question. <laughs> well, listen, guys, it, you know, there's the CD that I put together years later. Yes. I, when I, I, I bought my first house and my best friend moved in with me and he became my my partner in the music. His name was Scott Green is Scott Green. And uh, we, we started this band called the Kempsters because the house was on Kemp Street in Burbank. And uh, we were a really good garage band. And it it is, it's, uh, you know, you can find these CDs. If you see me at a horror convention, I usually take a couple of these with me. And I like to, I like to sell them real cheap and I'll sign them and give them to people. It's just a fun, it's a fun thing. I'm proud of my music. I, I'm a hard rock guy. I'm Lou Reed, Alice Cooper, David Bowie. Those were my first influences in music. And, you know, especially Lou Reed, I, you know, I, I couldn't really carry a tune, but I was rapping kind of before there was rap. And I sort of ranted and rocked through these songs. And it's fun. No brains at all. Uh, left-handed boy in a right-handed world. Who's to blame? Days and ages. Well, you know, we had a blast doing it. And the band was alive for about three years. We recorded some, our own demos and things like that. And we tour, we didn't tour, but we, we opened for the Dickies. 
we were sort of part of the punk scene, but we were really more new wave than punk. Uh, so yeah, no, I appreciate you guys bringing it up. And the, the you know, about once a month, I'll I'll put on the Kempsters just to make the hair on the back of my neck stand. <laughs> it's it's great music. Like I've I've listened to it myself. My question to kind of feed off that one, and then we'll wrap up. Was did you was that before or after rock and roll high school? Like is that something you wanted to do? Is is being a band or being in rock and roll high school kind of make you like now I want to be in a band? Well, rock and roll high school. You know, I I had had that experience. I the the Kempsters didn't happen until rock and roll high school had been finished. But, you know, Ron and I wrote a TV movie called Cotton Candy about a high school band that forms up and they were a band of kind of misfits and underdogs. It's an obscure, it was a TV movie on NBC. So, you know, music had always been a part of my life and my best friend, Scott, self-taught guitar player. And it just kind of became the thing to do. You know, we were, we were enjoying some adult libations <laughs> probably before we were adults. <laughs> And, uh, you know, listen, rock and roll, cheap trick, baby, you know, cheap trick and, and kiss and deep purple, you know, we we were pretty hardcore household, the Kemp, the Kemp street, you know, so yeah. that, that it was, it was, a, we had a good time. Cheap trick live from Budokan. I love that. It's a great yeah. album. No, I've, I've gotten, to, I, I met relatively friendly with Rick Nielsen oh. and Tom Peterson and Robin Zander and his dad, Rick, Rick Nielsen's son, Dax is, uh, uh, you know, we, we're, we're friends. Uh, we, I, in fact, I, we just saw him, Kat and I went to see him about six months ago out and out in Palm Springs and it was a blast. So. Nice. Awesome. Well, we'll wrap things up. Uh, be sure to go follow us uh, on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel to wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, Clint, thank you again so much for taking the time for us. It was amazing. Um, if you'd like to take a second, tell everybody about any upcoming appearances. I know you're going to be at the Smoky Mountain Fan Fest, which I'll be at. Uh, so I get to meet because you're top five people I've been wanting to meet for the last few years. So I get to check that box off. So I'm excited about that. Uh, but well, do you have any well, other lesson? Certainly. We, yes, we will. Kat and I will definitely be there. Um, we just go to, you know, the horror cons, um, you know, we're gonna, we're, I think we're going to go to Europe this year and do a horror con in Manchester, uh, in, um, the UK. Um, we're going to Oklahoma for a horror convention. Um, you know, we've got our, we've got our plate pretty much filled and also, you know, working on ice cream, man, you know, we're working on an, another ice cream, man is something that I'm really focused on. And, and also I'm still a working actor with my agent. The phone rings. I'm off to work on a movie. Um, so also people can follow me on Clint Howard official on Instagram and um, just make sure it's me because there's a couple of a-holes that end up sort of putting up those faux pages and it ain't me. So I'm Clint Howard official. And my wife and I have a wonderful time kind of interacting with fans and, and, and it's really cool. Yeah, you've always been very interactive with me, and I greatly appreciate that. Um, well, you're so, welcome. Listen, I'll go, see you. In, I will see you in Tennessee. Yeah, uh, go follow Clint. Mm -hmm. Get ready for Ice Cream Man too. Uh, check out uh, his appearances coming up. Go see him. All right, that's it. So I'm Jay with John, Kellen, TJ, and Mr. Clint Howard. And until next time, keep it spooky. <laughs>